Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Costola, one of the show's hosts. Welcome to the Unauthorized Disclosure Weekly Podcast. Uh, unfortunately, Ronnie Callick can't do a show this week. She's doing some crucial reporting in Ethiopia, which I'd like to share a little bit of what she's been up to and uh, give you something to listen to this week. And then hopefully in the next week's episode, we'll be back together. Uh, we'll probably be covering and discussing what she was able to observe on the ground doing reporting in Ethiopia on the conflict there between the government and the TPLF. And uh, also this week was really busy on Friday, particularly because I was covering the high court's decision in Julian Assange's extradition case. So I put together a little bit of something for you to listen to or watch. And I uh, would like to first just make sure uh, you get some highlights from Rania from the past week. And so uh, let me show you this. So here Rania is in the field in Ethiopia. That's the Breakthrough News team. We've had Eugene Perrier on our show and they're in the country. Been in the field in Amhara with the BT Newsroom team. It's one crime scene after another. We have so much to report. I'm grateful to get to work with these guys to bring you the reality on the ground. Ronnie Kalik said, in one town after another, we've seen widespread destruction of hospitals, an airport, schools, government service centers, hotels. People told us the TPLF stole food, looted property, raped, killed civilians, and expressed ethnic chauvinism and bigotry against Amhara. More to come. Uh, she was in town. She's been on the ground in these towns that the Ethiopian government's forces retook from the TPLF. So here we have an exclusive video that was put together by the Breakthrough News team uh, looking at residents of the recently retaken town of Liabella sh that showed uh, that the health, uh, they were at a health center that they say the TPLF ransacked and rendered non-operational. The same residents told us the damage resulted in multiple preventable maternal deaths. This is a delivery room that we are in now here in a health center in Lalibela. We were told by locals of the Lalibela area that during the TPLF occupation, that four women died from childbirth because this facility was non-operational. Uh, here's what looks like medicine, lots and lots of medicine, broken all over the ground, crushed, stepped on. We're in the pharmacy and it's been totally ransacked and all the medicine's gone. All right, so this is some of the work that Rania and the Breakthrough News team have been working on, and I'm going to make sure that we're able to get uh, maybe one or two people, including Rania, on our show and uh, to discuss the Ethiopian conflict and to share this coverage with you. Uh, I know that she's going to probably want to present it first through Breakthrough News. Now I'm going to play a section of the commentary I did after we heard the news 
that uh, the high court was going to grant the extradition request or the appeal in the extradition case against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Uh, it was less than 10 minutes that the court took to present this very important decision. It happened on Human Rights Day with, with no sense of irony, essentially leading me to conclude that the, the reason why the United States government with President Joe Biden and the administration representing and being the face of the US government, the reason why they can go forward and participate in a summit for democracy and also uh, be part of International Human Rights Day and not feel like they are hypocrites is because they truly believe that WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange does not deserve human rights. He does not have human rights. They do not classify him as a journalist. They do not believe he has protections under freedom of the press. And because they have chosen to deny him these rights, they feel they have a green light to pursue this prosecution and that they are correct. The press freedom organizations and human rights organizations, which they consider reputable, who participated and supported, let's say, the Summit for Democracy or International Human Rights Day, are, are not correct because they have not made the same conclusion. So if they made the right conclusion, this is how I think officials think, if they made the conclusion that the U.S. government was making, then they would not be saying what they are in press releases that are indicating outrage about how this case continues to move forward with great risk to journalism. And the only way that they can say that they don't recognize these risks is because they don't believe that they are prosecuting a journalist. So they believe they'll be able to prosecute, put Julian Assange on trial in the United States, send him to prison, and then turn around and say, the First Amendment is intact. Freedom of the press is fine. There is no attack on journalism. We were handling someone who we believe did not engage in journalism. We are trying to criminalize something else. And that is factually untrue. That is not represented by the contents of the indictment, which criminalized publication. And nobody agrees, nobody that I think I want to listen to agrees with U.S. officials or prosecutors who are still pursuing this case that it will not have lasting damage. It's already done damage, but that it will have even more lasting damage to the institutions of freedom of the press, the institution of freedom of the press, the value of freedom of expression that is shared by people around the world. So here's commentary I posted following the decision from the high court.
Thank you for tuning in to the Unauthorized Disclosure Weekly. Uh, thank you for tuning in to the Unauthorized Disclosure Weekly broadcast. If you would like to help us keep going with the show, please become a patron at patreon.com slash unauthorized disclosure. You may also go to rockfin.com slash unauthorized disclosure. And you can also find us on Spotify by searching for the Unauthorized Disclosure podcast. And there's ways to sign up for our premium content on Spotify. Thank you for supporting this show. Uh, for those of you who are patrons and subscribers, uh, we're sorry that uh, we have not been able to do the normal show for the last couple of weeks, uh, but we promise to get you a really hefty, nice, uh, and, and comprehensive discussion after Thank you for watching the show. For those of you who are patrons and subscribers, thank you for your continued support. And we're sorry that we've been a little light when it comes to content in the month of December uh, because of uh, Rania being in Ethiopia doing reporting. Uh, we'll, we'll be back to uh, giving you something really hefty and, and, and good to uh, chew on and enjoy next weekend. And I look forward to bringing you that episode, but in the meantime, we'll see you around. Thank you for tuning in to the Unauthorized Disclosure Podcast. And uh, if you'd like to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash unauthorized disclosure and become a patron. You may also go to rockfin.com slash unauthorized and become a subscriber if you prefer to support us through that platform. And we are on Spotify, search for unauthorized disclosure, and you can find our podcast and get access to our premium content that way by becoming a subscriber. Thank you for tuning in to our show, and we will see you next week. So, so the news here is that the high court has overturned this decision. They have sent the case back to the district court level, the Westminster Magistrates Court. I don't think it's going to be before... Judge Vanessa Baretzer, I believe she's moved on to another position. So it'll be a new district judge who signs off, but I'm not even clear that we are having a hearing. What the high court has asked this court to do, the Westminster Magistrates Court, is to send the extradition to the home office, to the secretary of state, who will make the ultimate decision on signing off on this and that's going to start the entire process in, in a very real way of Assange being prepared and potentially put on a plane to be brought to the United States. I mean, we, we are closer to extradition, much, much closer to extradition 
Uh, you know, if you want to have kind of doomsday clock in the Julian Assange case, you know, the, the hand was maybe 20 minutes, 15 minutes before midnight. You know, you can now move that hand to about five minutes before midnight, maybe 10 if we're being charitable. Uh, what this high court did in co-signing all of the assurances to the court essentially um, is to say that people um, who are, well, well, if we just take it by their extradition treaty that the U.S. has with the United Kingdom, that the U.S. government is permitted to go before the district court and argue a case without addressing allegations of abuse or allegations or claims that human rights will be violated by the United States if a person is taken into custody. And we're not just talking about journalists. We're not just talking about Julian Assange. This is a case that potentially could be applied to all cases where human rights are at stake. These, we could see war on terrorism cases using this ruling. We could see the Crown Prosecution Service um, using this against people who are facing trumped up political charges in other respects. And what essentially is happening here is the high court has said that in the, in the district court setting, you can have an evidentiary hearing where witnesses are called and you can put arguments forward and if you don't want to, you do not have to reassure the court until after the district court has made a decision that she believes the United States government will not respect the human rights or protect the safety and health of a defendant. And then, and only after then, do they have to come forward and offer assurances. Those assurances should be offered in the extradition hearing that's before the district judge. And Julian Assange's team should have had the ability to know during that proceeding that took place in September 2020 that the US was going to make these sorts of, of claims that, uh, oh, he won't be put in a special administrative measures. He won't be put in a supermax prison. Oh, we will make sure he has mental health treatment and that a physician will refer him for any care that he needs. Oh, we will uh, allow him to apply for a prisoner transfer to Australia. Uh, this was not something that was the subject of the proceeding. It's not something they were able to contest. The illegal team didn't have the opportunity to call witnesses and, uh, and, and show the judge why you can't trust those assurances. And then we push it on forward to this appeal hearing and they say, ah, we've got these diplomatic assurances because conveniently that means that you don't have to be concerned about anything the district judge said about why it will be oppressive to Julian Assange. You don't have to care about him uh, being put in, in danger. We take care of all of that. We have these assurances for you. Um, and then they're, 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 pretty much tied up. You know, there's not a whole lot that Assange's legal team can do in response. She can't call people at an appeal hearing to testify. The witnesses were supposed to be at the hearing at the district level. So 
Well, the best you can do is look at the record that is available and use older evidence and point out why you shouldn't believe those assurances and why you believe those assurances, if offered at the district level, would not have been reliable. And that's what they did. But this court did not believe it. And we had Timothy Holroyd, um, one of the justices, one of the lords, and then uh, it was the Lord Chief Justice Burnett, who's apparently uh, friendly with someone who's in Parliament who has called Julian Assange a worm. So that says something about the culture, uh, the political culture. Um, it's not much different from the United States. Uh, the judges and the politicians and the legislatures, uh, in the legislatures, and then as well as in the executive branch, you know, and, and all, all, all parts of the UK government are, are in the same circles, in the same social circles. Uh, and so uh, I, I have the decision. I, I will, I will go through and I will break down the uh, different parts of it in real time here. I'm, I'm looking at the decision for the first time. And if, if, if you don't mind, you can hang around and follow it. it, it it's not going to be very, uh, I'd say, very well constructed. I'm going to be doing a lot of it off the cuff, just kind of like reading through parts. Uh, but, but you're welcome to be in on that and, and see uh, what I'll say before I start combing through this decision. Uh, again, thank you to everyone who is tuned in. Thank you for those who are sharing this live broadcast. The important thing to say right now, uh, this, is, this, is, this is the comment that I have. We have known all along that the only thing that will save Julian Assange is if President Joe Biden's administration drops the charges against WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. We have known that if you want to spare Julian Assange's life, if you want to truly save him, it's going to require Attorney General Merrick Garland ending this political prosecution. It's going to take people in the Biden administration dropping the charges. It's going to take people in Congress saying, drop the charges. It's going to take a louder, more fierce opposition within the U.S. press to shame the U.S. government for taking steps forward that clearly would jeopardize freedom of the press. They need to speak up before he is put on a plane and brought to the U.S. for his arraignment. We do not have that. Obviously, there are good reasons to be cynical about the possibility that any of the characters who populate our government will say a word against this case. Then that means we have to shame the Biden administration. I don't know if it can be shamed. It quite brazenly has allowed this to go forward and the high court issued its decision on Human Rights Day. It's Human Rights Day. It's an international day where the United Nations invites governments around the world to rededicate themselves to human rights, no matter what their records may be, from 
you know, modestly inhumane to entirely brutal and repressive and violent to their populations. They've hosted a two-day summit for democracy. Anthony Blinken, I've been sharing the clip. I could play it again towards the end of this broadcast, if you would like. But Anthony Blinken is speaking about political prisoners, speaking about sham trials, speaking about climates of fear and Orwellian legal systems at the same time that the Crown Prosecution Service has advanced this for them and succeeded. Uh, they played the system well. They knew exactly what buttons to push in order to get the High Court of Justice to give them the outcome that they desired. Uh, so they'll be asked to come back on for the next case and the next case after that. Some of the people involved, um, you know, James Lewis, the lead prosecutor, um, you know, he's he's shown that he's capable of, of moving this case forward with a, with a very precise bit of contempt for freedom of the press um, that's, that's, that's not too detestable, not too hard for judges to swallow, but, you know, just enough to get uh, someone through the door of the airplane and brought to the United States. So uh, they, they've succeeded in their job. And um, the Biden administration um, knew that, you know, these bureaucrats that they've enlisted will, will do this work for them. And so, you know, I, my focus is on my country in the United States. Why does this continue? And that is a question that we'll have to continuously ask ourselves and answer over the next weeks and months ahead. I expect that there will be some kind of effort at an appeal. I don't know what avenue is available. It seems like the high court was trying to foreclose the ability of Assange to challenge this decision. I mean, basically suggesting that there's a finality to it that, uh, you know, I, I believe the Assange team is going to have to make an effort to contest. They're trying to send it to the home office already, which the home office is authorized the extradition. So the Home Office is going to allow the United States government to get their hands on WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, despite everything we know. And the corruption in this case is substantial. We have that the CIA is uh, working um, or at least receiving audio and video footage from Undercover Global, this private security company in Spain that is conducting an espionage operation against the Ecuador embassy, targeting journalists, attorneys for Julian Assange, family members, um, going after them in way, uh, conspiring to engage in acts of intimidation and harassment, and also committing such acts in the process of allegedly providing security to the embassy, uh, you know, uh, eavesdropping on doctors, um, stealing medical notes in order to put them in dossiers. Uh, so they send a lot of these materials to the U.S. government that they have in their possession, the very government that is prosecuting Julian Assange, arguing for this extradition, has a lot of confidentially uh, privileged information in their possession. 
that they claim siloed and separate, but you know, I don't know. At this point, I don't really trust them. So then in addition to the CIA's plans, um, uh, the discussions that happened, which we now know through Yahoo News with confirmation from sources, they were discussing kidnappings. They were discussing how to put him on a plane, rendition. Uh, they were talking about potentially killing him, disruption campaigns to turn people against each other, planting malware, uh, so hacking into electronic devices, uh, trying to neutralize and bring a media organization to its knees, uh, which we saw very clearly and out in the open going all the way back to at least December 2010 when they responded to cables that are published. They respond to the war logs that are published on Afghanistan and Iraq, uh, that, you know, the, all those cables on U.S. diplomacy. Then they're uh, uh, maybe responding to the Guantanamo files, but they didn't have such a visceral reaction to that. The collateral murder video, the video showing uh, the Apache helicopter attack in Baghdad that um, murdered two Reuters employees and then killed a, a person who came in a van to try and save wounded individuals. Um, all detailed, all very well known, all spoken eloquently about by Chelsea Manning in her court martial, um, and also the kind of documents that fueled journalism that won awards and is celebrated. Um, and in addition to the CIA campaign and, and what they've done to fuel this case, we have the FBI, the FBI entering uh, the country of Iceland on false pretenses, gaining access to the country in order to conduct surveillance of Julian Assange. They said they're there to help the government deal with a cyber attack. As it turned out, they are the agents, uh, at least eight or nine of them were there for another reason. And they got kicked out by the government of Iceland for lying, lying to the government about why they were in Iceland. And at that time, not long after, they align themselves and work with and offer some kind of an arrangement to Sigidor Tudarsson, who is a pedophile, who has preyed on underage boys, who embezzled funds from the WikiLeaks shop, who has made claims about his position in WikiLeaks that have proven not to be true, who has fabricated information, which is in the indictment that was brought before the district judge and largely taken seriously by her and now taken seriously by the high court justices. And so uh, he is now in jail. He was put in jail to stop financial fraud schemes. And as far as I know, he has not been released, but if anybody has heard differently, I'll make a correction. As far as I know, he is still being kept in confinement to make sure that he does not continue to defraud other companies through schemes that have been investigated and followed closely by the authorities in Iceland. He's been diagnosed a sociopath. And the sociopath is the person who the FBI has leaned on as a key witness for the one section of the computer conspiracy charge that is against Julian Assange. That's in addition to the 17 charges of, a, of allegedly violating the Espionage Act. And all of these charges are recognized universally as violating uh, any principles that you might have of press freedom. So 
there's so there's all of that. The FBI through Ecuador was able to get his confidentially uh, confidential archives from the Ecuador embassy. Those were seized by Ecuador and then passed on to the FBI. Uh, materials could have been used by the defense to help them in this case. And so the, the corruption around all of this is, is, is fairly clear. Um, the efforts that we've seen, not different and not lost on Pentagon Papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg, who, who thinks of what he went through and endured and sees this case and you know what, what a half century can do because nearly almost exactly 50 years later, maybe a little less if you are going specifically by the dates of these actions, but around a half century later, this, this can all happen and be reported and the U.S. government get away with it. And then they can still posture at quote unquote summits for democracy as defenders of human rights and democracy and say that they support freedom of expression and as far as I know so far at this two-day summit, I'm not sure that Julian Assange's name has been raised. I haven't seen any clips, but I haven't been watching all of the sessions. So I don't think anybody had bothered to confront the United States on what they're doing. And we're here. We are here now. We, we have this decision. So um, I'm just going to take a look here. Um, I, I, I will be very clear here because I see somebody... Uh, the fight does not end here is what Kristen Harofson is saying. He's the WikiLeaks editor-in-chief who took over for Julian Assange after he was detained. And yeah, I recognize that there is much more that the Assange team will be doing, and it'll be up to us to um, hope or stand by and, and support and boost those efforts. Um, my my interests in this are the same as the people at WikiLeaks. We want a global, we want a world where we can have freedom of expression. We want a world where you can publish documents on the abuse and corruption of the United States and not face retaliation from the national security state. That uh, you know, we we should set out as a marker that the reason why you should oppose Julian Assange's prosecution is because no country in the world should be able to use its justice system to pursue publishers who expose war crimes and torture and criminality, other criminality by the security or intelligence services or the military of that state, and that when justice system, when the justice system is acting effectively as a deputy of those security agents, those intelligence agents, those military officers, that then they have undermined and ruined all ideas related to press freedom. And you can no longer claim to be a defender of press freedom and a defender of human rights if you are pursuing a case against journalists. Uh, no, I'm not here to sit here. I'm not here to sit here today and make judgments on countries that are considered enemies or adversaries of the United States. I'm not here to say uh, uh, 
to to equivocate and break down uh, the the array of cases that are on the dockets, political prisoner cases that you know Russia or China may have, Iran might have, other countries in Africa, Latin America, other parts of the world may have. What I know off of the top of my head is what my country does. I know what the United States government is doing. I know what is done to Julian Assange. I know that yesterday, Stephen Donziger was released out of prison after being imprisoned for months, uh, for, for at least several weeks, if not a few months, because he won a decision against Chevron to hold them accountable modestly, very modestly, for the destruction of indigenous land by way of polluting their land with oil. And because Chevron did not want to be held accountable and did not want this negative public attention, they did not want the indigenous people of Ecuador to win, he was retaliated against. And a law firm tied to Chevron represented their interests hijacked the legal process, brought charges against him, even though a prosecutor in an attorney's office did not make the decision to charge him, which is the standard. The Justice Department allowed them to hijack the process. The Biden administration stood by and did not say a word while this was happening. And he went to prison and he's the one we are supposed to believe is the criminal even though he did the utmost that he possibly could to defend human rights. And Anthony Blinken and others in the US State Department wanna go before their cameras and hop on Zoom and talk about political prisoners, sham trials, climates of fear, Orwellian legal systems. It's absurd, we shouldn't allow it. And uh, we shouldn't let them be able to take the language we use to talk about real and actual oppression and repression by governments throughout the world and manipulate it in ways that serve them without them even really understanding the gravity of those buzzwords that they are using. Don't let them cheapen these words. These words have meaning and we should stand up for those words to not be uttered by sniveling bastards in the US government who are doing this for purposes that are not aligned with human rights and freedom and principles of, of, of expression and for the sake of independent journalism. It's that clear, it's that clear. And uh, there's, there's really not more to be said. This is a litmus test. This is the litmus test. Uh, it's, it's real. Today, it's even more real. It has been real. Uh, we, have, we have known that this is an attack on journalism, but it's made even more pronounced by the fact that it is getting more and more unlikely that the system in the UK will stop it. And that's, those are for British citizens to, to, to discuss among themselves. Their government is doing this 
to an Australian journalist. I'm upset about it, but it's hard for me to be more angry about that than the fact that the reason this all started in the first place is that charges, a, a case that laid dormant, was revived by President Donald Trump's administration. Mike Pompeo pushed for some kind of action to disrupt and uh, potentially hurt, kill maybe Julian Assange. And then the Justice Department said, well, we can't allow that to happen. That's extrajudicial and we don't want that. So we'll issue these charges. And they charged him under the Espionage Act. And then now he's been in this legal limbo. I mean, he was in legal limbo, but he's been even more of this legal limbo from within Belmarsh Prison. And his condition has been degrading and degrading and degrading. It's, it's not the time to fold and say that they've won. Uh, we, we have not lost. As long as Julian Assange has not been brought to the United States, the people in global press freedom organizations, the, the human rights activists, the supporters of Julian Assange, the team for Julian Assange, Julian Assange himself, uh, they are still able to fight this. Thank you for watching the show. For those of you who are patrons and subscribers, thank you for your continued support. And we're sorry that we've been a little light when it comes to content in the month of December uh, because of uh, Rania being in Ethiopia doing reporting. Uh, we'll, we'll be back to uh, giving you something really hefty and, and, and good to uh, chew on and enjoy next weekend. And I look forward to bringing you that episode. But in the meantime, we'll see you around.